What up, what up, what up? Welcome back, people. This is um, episode two of Team Talk Podcast. Actually, I don't even think we're going to call this episode two, actually. Um, we didn't even discuss this in the first episode, but we're going to be doing things a little bit differently now. So this is how we're going to be setting up now with our episodes. So uh, what we've decided... Um, the team talk group we've actually decided to do a thing where uh, we'll be rolling out a one episode per week which talks about you know uh, the football that's happened across the whole week whether that be the Premier League or the Champions League European League and etc etc and we will also have another episode which essentially talks about um, different topics in the footballing world um, I'd like to call this the in-depth series, where essentially we talk about concepts in football, uh, footballing roles, positions, formations, historical players who play the game, issues within the game, topics within the game, uh, big changes that may be happening in football, whichever way possible, uh, scouting. Whether that be uh players of players um that are late twenties, early twenties, it doesn't matter, and also we can talk about youth football as well and talk about players to look out for as well, in you know in the youth market. But yeah, that's gonna be the new series, and so again, let me reiterate one more time. So essentially, one episode per week for, uh, footballing news in terms of matches. You know, wherever where we all as a members of the Team Talk uh, group come together and discuss uh, matches that's actually taking place, like I said, the Champions League or the Premier League and other um, cup competitions that may have happened in the league. And also a separate episode on the side, which talks about different concepts, roles and etc, etc. Like I said, we'll be calling that the in-depth series. So make sure you keep a lookout for that as well. So you you essentially get the best of both worlds, essentially. So if anyone's interested interested in this side of things, you've come to the right podcast, essentially. But uh, yeah, um, we're going to give it a go. We're going to give it a start. And I think the very, very first topic of the day shall be the deep-lying playmaker, essentially. So, how are we going to do this? What is the deep line playmaker? Well, I'm sure some of you already know what it is anyway. But to you newbies who don't know anything about football, here's a history lesson. And also a lesson in the current game so far. So, what is a deep line playmaker? A playmaker, a deep line playmaker, is a player who is stationed in the deeper part of the pitch who is tasked with, well, not even tasked, but who just has the ability to control the flow and ebbs of the game, who's able to stop play and dictate the tempo of the game, right? Now, this player is also blessed with technical ability, usually, most of the time, Uh, guile, vision, composure, um, balance, agility most of the time, and essentially sometimes leadership even you know because historically we've had lots of um, deep line playmakers over the years in football who have been captains of their football team 
Um, this man's going to be in an example a lot in this particular discussion. So, um, Perlo, essentially, he was the captain of Juventus. Uh, when he and he also had and he also was captain of Wild for AC Milan, I believe. But yeah, he was captain for Juventus and led that team to several scudettos. You know, so yeah, one of the greatest players I've ever seen to watch. But anyway, let's get back to the discussion. Let's get back to the discussion. So yeah, um, controls the flow and tempo of the game, right? Um, usually. The word playmaker doesn't encase just a deep line playmaker. There's usually a playmaker up top as well. So sometimes some teams may have both. Sometimes some teams may play, let's say a system, for example, 4-2-3-1, may have a advanced playmaker as the number 10 and maybe a deep line one um, in the deeper part of the pitch. So you have a player who's able to dictate on the deeper part of the pitch and another one who can dictate on the upper part of the pitch essentially in the final third so you get the best of both worlds essentially you know and that's very very useful in a system of possession a possession based system essentially so there's very many many variables you can pick they usually done the number six shirt stereotypically anyway not all of them and they're very very good at pivoting you know, in sense, in a, in the sense of turning defense into attack, in almost a move, one player that does it time and time again, um, is Sergio Busquets, one of my favorite favorite footballing footballers around, uh, one of the best I've ever got to see. Um, literally the best number six, for the last, for the last decade or so, essentially. Last decade or so, um. You know he's been on the top of his game, but anyway, let's get back to the to the to the topic here. So essentially, usually deep line playmakers they play stereotypically in systems such as the four three three four two three one, either in a single pivot or a double pivot, as seen in the actual formation. So four three three would be a single pivot, which is basically one deep line playmaker, or just one playmaker who plays as the pivot, so to speak correction uh four two three one also so in a double pivot so sometimes um you can have two pivots one could um take turns being a deep line playmaker so an example of that was seen at uh at the arsenal 2010-2011 season where we had uh wilshire and song and uh, Fabregas as the number ten. So what actually tended to happen? What tended to happen sometimes was um, Wilshere and Song would actually take turns playing as the um, well singular pivot, or if a better explanation would be actually one of them would take turns holding their position in the deeper part of the pitch, uh, dictating play a lot just to distort the position while you have Fabregas moving upwards um, trying to find space in the final third or sometimes they may actually um, how do I say it? all three rotate so sometimes it could be Fabregas holding the position from deep position and Wilshere or Song pushing up but again that's more to Arsenal's system at that time playing very fluid football so that was why that worked essentially so now let's give a little a little history lesson on the actual deep line playmaker. 
So Deep Line Playmaker isn't it a position that actually came about just today. Or just even in the last 10 years, or not even the 20, 30 years even. This has existed for over 100 years, so to speak. One of the first deep line playmakers is a man called Charlie Roberts, who played for Man United in the early 1900s, essentially. Um, he was he, he was a very, very good footballer. Very, very adept with the ball. And literally led Man United to two titles in 1908 and 1911. And his playing style was very unique because back then, the tactical system that most teams played with the 2-3-5 essentially so two defenders and three I'd say half backs that was what the positions were called there were three half backs and five forwards essentially and the middle half back um, essentially was the deep line playmaker so he had plenty options essentially because of the two midfielders that surround him side by side and the five midfielders slash forwards that essentially um you know all above him essentially so his ball playing ability pretty much led to my united to the 1908 and 1911 title not saying it was just him but his um his ability was very pivotal to that moment so if we fast forward now to the 90s and the early 2000s and maybe a bit of the 80s as well um, a lot of teams at that time had a lot of number 10s, a plethora of them. But what ended up happening was that the rise of the holding midfielder, i.e. quote-unquote the Makaleli role, sort of stifled the abilities of the number 10. Um, they weren't getting enough space to kind of operate. Uh, the, four, the holding midfielder sorry, was literally tasked with essentially booing the bulldog to hound that number 10, to not give him space to breathe, not even space to to touch the ball, to even, to even help his team, not even, to, not even to, to, to breathe, not at all. That was the job, and that was what kind of birthed the deep-line playmaker, essentially, because, um, well, not birthed, I'd say, but kind of brought back the deep-line playmaker, because for a while, during that era, during the 80s, 90s and early 2000s, a lot of teams, especially in England, only played 4-4-2 and it was stereotypically just runners. Stereotypically just runners. Box-to-box, box-standard midfielders, whether that be two box-to-box midfielders or one box-to-box with a ball-winning midfielder. Um, essentially, it was it was one of those. That was literally the structure. So there wasn't much room for the number 10 to manoeuvre because there was this big notion in England, not even just England, but in most places where essentially the number 10 was quote-unquote a lazy player or a luxury player, so to speak. Um, one man that gets called that luxury player, even now, is uh, Meza Ozil. But we'll get back to the discussion now. Um, yes, where was I? Uh, yeah, so essentially that was what was happening with the with the formational changes. So deep line playmakers didn't have enough opportunities to play, and sometimes as well in the four four two, the second striker was always maybe slash or or similar to the number ten, who dropped deep. So 
if he was dropping deep, then there wasn't any need. There wasn't a need for a deep line playmaker to, uh, well, do his thing, so to speak, so to speak. So, yeah, that was one of the most. That was the difficulties that they faced essentially. But as the formations changed later on, um, after the two thousands, especially in Spain's domination and Barcelona's domination. Most teams started to employ the deep line playmaker a lot more. Um, before we even get into some teams that have did that, let me get into two examples of deep line playmakers who played in this era right now. So I will give you one, the most obvious one, um, Andrea Perlo, one of the greatest footballers to ever grace the pitch. Uh, he was very unique his deep line playmaking ability was very very unique um and i'll explain why now if we have a look at uh how he was stationed in the ac milan team and also the juventus team what tended to happen was that um i'll start off with the ac milan team so ac milan I'm sure most football fans know this, that Christmas tree formation where AC Milan set up in. Very classic. Most teams don't actually play that anymore. It's pretty much redundant now, to be fair. But it was it was a very classy formation. Um you know, box standard four defenders, two will be two flanked flanked by uh fullbacks, sorry, who literally push up, you know, that's the the roles of the fullback essentially. Um then you had three midfielders. Now, the midfielders were unique where Perlo was in the middle as a deep-line playmaker, but essentially he was given the license to kind of drift into zones where he saw fit in deep positions and also in the middle third of the pitch. He was literally given the license to do what he pleases, where he wants, when he wants. But then he was also flanked by very hard-working midfielders, yet good midfielders, not just not just scrubs, not just hard workers. They were actually surrounded by very good midfielders. One in Makaleli, one in Gattuso. Whilst up top, there was Kaka up top with uh, Shevchenko. You know, and that team was one of the biggest teams in Europe at the time, which won the Champions League at one point and got to the Champions League a few times a few years after, back in the early 2000s. Now... Um, due to the decline of AC Milan during the, well, just after the 2000s, so about 2010-ish, due to that decline of Juventus around that time, uh, Perlo at that moment wasn't actually playing too well and he was literally on, well, it seemed like his career was dwindling at the time. And then when he finally got that transfer, which was a free transfer, I believe, to Juventus, his 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 place his whole deep lying playmaking traits were were revived, you know he played in a system at Juventus that was very very good, a three five two or three four two one and also a three five one one, where essentially he was stationed again as a deep line playmaker but flanked by very hard working midfielders but exceptional midfielders, so midfielders such as Vidal, Marquisio, Pogba. Now, those were the midfielders that he had around him, which helped kind of mask his um, his dwindling um, 
is yeah he's dwindling physicality essentially that's the word he's dwindling physicality i don't know why that bloody slipped my tongue <laughs> but um yeah essentially that was what helped him thrive um we had very good midfielders that helped him out it's not i wouldn't say sweep up moves but we're in the zones where perlo couldn't cover so it didn't seem like juventus were were leaving gaps the gaps were filled especially by that of a hard-working Arturo Vidal, which was very helpful. So that basically gave Perlo the full freedom to dictate play. So rather than holding his position and screening, that which is what a deep-line playmaker, well, tip stereotypically does, especially now, holding his position, trying to unlock the fence by pivoting or essentially threading passes through lanes, you have Perlo essentially breaking lines through his own movement or just finding a nice opening through a defence or or threading passes into lanes for runners to get into essentially you know giving him the full licence to do that is is, is suicide <laughs> you know we saw that in in, in, def- in in Juventus with the team that he used so yeah that's Perlo and now we'll give another example um, well, I'll give two more examples. One more, uh, Sergio Puskets. So Sergio Puskets, like I said, one of the best deep line playmakers around. Um, some may call him just a holding midfielder. Uh, sometimes he doesn't. His traits as well is very unique because it's not a stereotypical deep line playmaker where they pick up the ball, dictate play, thread passes, long range passes, um, you know, around the pitch. With his play, it's more of about screening the defence, keeping the play composed, recycling possession, um, being an outlet in the defence, sometimes dropping into the defence, forming a back three. We saw that a lot with um, with his um, with his work with Pep Guardiola during the 2008 to the 2012 season at Barcelona happened so often a lot of the time when Barcelona were up against um, a two-man attack they would then put um, Sergio Puskets well he still played a deep line playmaker position but when the when the team don't have the ball he slots into the defense or when the or when they are building up from the back they essentially slot him into the defense so then if they do lose the ball in that position they've already covered themselves with three defenders so to speak or when they've or when they're on the break, not when not when they're on the break, sorry, when the other team's on the break, they've already positioned themselves in a way where, okay, the defence isn't too exposed, essentially. And this this created a very, um, a very good situation for Barcelona's fullbacks because it gave a licence for people like Dani Alves to kind of move very high and wide and sometimes literally dic- moving into the space that he sees fit up, up on that right-hand side, sorry. And that and that led to the link up of Lionel Messi on that right hand side, which led to so many assists and goals from both of them. So that partnership was very fruitful. And on the other side, when they had Abidal, sometimes it would morph into a back four because Abidal was more of a conservative fullback. So it kind of led to Abidal kind of staying back with Puyal and Puique. Still staying back, as you know, because they're, they're the defenders. With um with Sergio Puskets at the back too. So 
if you can imagine that with the two centre backs splitting to creating space for Sergio Puskas to move into, you technically still have a back four with um, with Arturo sorry not Arturo Vidal with Danny Alves sorry providing huge width on that right hand side and with Pedro or David Villa on the left hand side holding the width on that right hand side and coming inside when need be and literally with Messi, Xavi and Iniesta doing their thing I don't even need to really get into detail about that everyone knows what those three did so I don't even need to get into that but um, yeah that was what his that's why his role was different and you can also see that with um, with the way Pep Guardiola plays now with Man City with Fernandinho so essentially even though Pep's wingbacks don't spread high and wide and move up the wingbacks do move inside but what what has happened now is that because the wing backs move inside and play a little well as quote unquote inverted wing backs, where essentially they are forced midfielders, right? This gives less pressure for Fernandinho to kind of drop back and create a three man defense because what's the need? It would just essentially be five a five man defense and the wingers and the two central midfielders attacking, essentially. Which City have done a few times, essentially. Which is why we've seen KDB literally all over the pitch. KDB and Dave and, and David Silva all over the pitch dictating play where they see fit. Pep Guardiola does that sometimes, but I feel like um, with the way they play now, the fullbacks are come inside much more, which helps... Um, uh, what's what's his name? <laughs> Slip my tongue once again, which helps Fernandinho move into midfield, so he still drops back when need be, but he moves into the midfield and helps dictate the play, and he's one player that's that's uh, impressed me the most because at first he was more of a box to box midfielder. I didn't think he'd have the composure and the guard to play a position such as this. But he's made the position his own. And for him being 33, going on 34, for him to do it at such a big level, shows you that the deep-line playmaking position isn't a position that you come of age into in your early 20s. It's a position where you're moulded into it. You know, it takes years, years of practice, years of knowing the game, playing it, years of honing your own skills and learning from different managers. And we have other examples of deep-line playmakers. For example, we have Tony Kroos, who doesn't really play as the lone deep-line playmaker. He doesn't really play as a single pivot. He plays stereotypically in a 4-3-3 next to a more advanced midfielder, such as Modric. But he kind of tends to stay back and hold his position and literally spray passes and dictate in where he sees foot, essentially. And... We also have that, um, well, we had that with Santi Cozzola. Um, when he started to lose a lot of his mobility a little bit, he, we dropped him back. Well, I say we because I support Arsenal, as you know. So when I say we, you know what I mean. But um, Cardio, Cardio, Santi Cozzola used to drop back, essentially, with Coquelin literally mop, hold, well, covering the space that um, Cozzola can't cover. And that was a very good good partnership while it lasted. 
very good partnership and we saw one of the best football Santi Cazola has ever played under us one of the best and now we have Granite Shaka, who is a very decent deep line playmaker but lacks the intelligence the composure and also in my opinion the positioning to fulfill his role effectively essentially especially when Arsenal a lot of the time these last two seasons have been playing the 3-4-3 system um, positioning is very important you're essentially playing with a two-man midfield not a three so you can't get away of leaving space which is why I believe Shaka's best position is the 4-3-3 essentially now this was a very very good episode um, I really enjoyed talking about the deep line playmaker I can talk about this forever but this is just a brief overview of the position um, how it put this developed and where it's at now um, feel free to subscribe to our Apple sorry not Apple I don't know what's wrong with me I'm probably hungry or something but yeah subscribe to our iTunes page we're going to be opening up our SoundCloud page later on should be opening up well once this is going to be once this episode gets put on iTunes it should be on SoundCloud as well so if you're listening to this it's probably going to be on SoundCloud already so yeah please do have a listen um you can also find us on uh anchor.fm you could also find us on Spotify Google Play Music as well okay it's been a very good episode so feel you're going to feel free to tune into the next episode as well we're, we're probably going to be releasing another one this weekend for these for this weekend fixtures as well um the whole gang is going to be here so you know we're not going to be disappointing it's going to be full of banter again but but if you have any um uh any topics that you want us to discuss whether that be in the in-depth series or during the weekend fixtures feel free to drop us a, a dm in our twitter group page uh, sorry not twitter group page our twitter page sorry or just um relay the information to one of the members of the of the podcast and we'll see what we can do but again thanks for listening and catch you next time cheers